going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. YouTube, TikTok, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 119 and uh, another very wild week in the wild, wild west known as the NFL. Uh, I think we can confirm it's scripted, but that's for another day. Um, more college football to talk about and... A lot of big signings in baseball, so second half is going to be all baseball. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty solid day of stuff. A lot of big stuff happened over this past week as far as a whole bunch of really good NFL games, good signings in the MLB, just like Skyler was talking about. Uh, but let's waste no time. Let's get into the opener, Skyler. What do you got here? Yeah, the best thing I saw this weekend by far was Frank Gore Jr., the Southern Miss running back and son of the all-time great just taking care of business in the Lending Tree Bowl against Rice. He had 21 carries for 329 yards, two rushing touchdowns. He even had a passing touchdown out of the Wildcat. And it's just great to see, you know, uh, even the guys at the smaller schools, uh, even though we all know who he is, uh, are getting the job done and going to get that NFL opportunity in a couple years here And because he was running all over the Rice defense. Sorry, Alex. Uh, for my opener, I'm going to go to a direction that I don't didn't think I'd ever go in oh. uh, the Immaculate Sports Podcast history. But I'm going with that World Cup final, man. One of the best games of soccer ever, apparently. Uh, Argentina ended up winning it in PKs. Uh, but just a back-and-forth game the whole time between Argentina and France – Argentina was up 2 nothing until like the 79th or 80th minute. And then Mbappe scored twice in like a minute and a half. And then it goes to OT. France scores. And then Argentina scores. And then they go to PKs. And France goalie couldn't stop any uh, penalty kicks, unfortunately. And ended up getting Argentina a World Cup win. And that's big for Messi because that's the one thing he didn't have, apparently. So uh, I guess he's the GOAT now. Definitely the best 40 minutes of soccer I've ever watched was the end of that game. Yeah, I'd say 40 minutes because it started at 7 a.m. for us. So yeah. it was a little a little rough to watch the beginning uh, if you really wanted to do that. Let's move into the Immaculate Sports Player of the Week, though, where we're talking about real football players. Uh, <laughs> the four guys that we had this week were Josh Allen for his big W and performance against the Dolphins in that Saturday night matchup. Uh, Kirk Cousins for his crazy comeback that he led for the Vikings in their biggest comeback in franchise and NFL history in their 33-point comeback over the Colts on Saturday morning. Uh, Saturday Sunday day, we had Rayshon Jenkins have 18 tackles, two picks, and one game-winning pick six for the Jags in their big victory over the Cowboys. And then Chandler Jones... One crazy game-winning touchdown. One crazy night. And there's something about when we just put Josh Allen in these polls, there's this one account that always retweets it that is like this account specifically made for voting Josh Allen in polls. Uh, And so he voted it, or he retweeted it, and we ended up getting 186 votes on our poll. So a lot of stuff, uh, stuff like that. Uh, but 81.2% of the votes went to Josh Allen. Nobody else even got double-digit percentage-wise. So uh, Josh Allen, probably the most common Immaculate Sports Player of the Week. Probably his fifth or sixth now at this point, honestly. And uh, yeah, so nothing crazy there. 
Let's get to the team reports. Tell me about that Jets game against the Lions. Yeah, man, the Jets lost to the Lions. They had a lead with two minutes left, and they blew it. Zach Wilson gave him a chance at the end. Wasn't enough, though. So let's talk about some of the players, I guess, here. Uh, Mike White with the the fractured ribs was out, probably going to be out again next week. But Zach Wilson got another chance, and he didn't play bad at all. Uh, 317 yards, two touchdowns, and one weird pick. It seems like his one problem uh, physically is that he doesn't like to throw the ball away. So he's got a couple of, you know, weird throws every game, puts the team in danger. But the biggest thing I noticed in this game was that the receivers don't really like him very much. You know, a a high and away ball that technically, you know, if you put yourself out there and were willing to get smacked by a safety, it could be caught. That's what guys were doing for Mike White. But it seems like, you know, even a guy like Garrett Wilson isn't willing to do that for Zach Wilson. So that's going to lead to some missed opportunities. And the defense played extremely well until the final two minutes. Quincy Williams blew uh, a man coverage assignment and Brock Wright ran 50 yards untouched, which was unfortunate. Um, Quentin Williams was out and we had no pressure because Quentin Williams gets triple teamed every single play and uh, that helps everyone else. So it wasn't working. Sauce gave up zero yards once again. He's amazing. But that's all we really need to talk about. Uh, Playoffs are still possible. But they're going to need some help. We need the Chargers to lose one more. We need to win out and crush Miami. There you go. All right. For the Raiders, everybody's seen the game-winning play. So we don't really need to talk much yeah. about that. If you've been on social media or just been alive the last three days and you know about sports, you've definitely seen that Chandler Jones touchdown there. So we're not going to talk about that. We'll talk about more of the other things that happened within the game. Derek Carr, 20 for 38, three touchdowns, 231 yards, and a interception. The interception was a pick six by Kyle Duggar, so it led to points uh, to the Patriots. As far as rushing goes, another solid Josh Jacobs game, 110 total yards, 22 carries for 93 yards plus the 17 receiving to get to that 110 total. Just another good game for him, nothing too crazy there. Receiving-wise, we got Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro back, so we didn't really see that like really focused look on Devontae Adams like we have seen for this pretty much whole year while Waller and Renfro have been out. Waller had three catches for 48 yards and a touchdown. Matt Collins had 40 yards and a touchdown. Keelan Cole had 50 yards and a touchdown that was ruled a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up standing, so... Still a touchdown. I'll give an extra Devont- shout-out to Matt Collins, man. Making some yeah. tackles on special teams, too. Matt Collins is really good. Uh, Devontae only had four catches for 28 yards. Renfro only one catch for 14 yards on three targets. But a game where we kind of spread the wealth around there. And even though our offense didn't look the greatest, still got the job done. Defensive-wise, we didn't really have the greatest like stats-wise game. I would say as far as like tackles for a loss, sacks, stuff like that. We didn't, we didn't sack Mac Jones once, but we had a couple tackles for a loss. Uh, but when you look at the stat sheet for Mac Jones perspective, Mac went 13 for 31 with 112 yards. So he didn't really do anything, uh, which is pretty cool to see. We did give up a ton of rushing yards to Ramondre Stevenson. However, like 30 of those yards came on that last play. Uh, he ended up with 172. So he gashed us which was unfortunate, but the win's a win. doesn't really matter now. Uh, moving into next week, 
We play on Saturday night against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. That's going to be Christmas Eve. And the weather is going to be insane. Yes. I was looking at the, the forecast in Pittsburgh for Saturday. The low is one degree and the high is 10 degrees. So I'd assume probably at an eight or seven kickoff, it's probably going to be like three or four degrees max. Uh, 20 mile per hour winds with gusts up to 47 miles per hour. So I would expect a lot of Josh Jacobs and a lot of Najee Harris for the Steelers this upcoming game. Uh, at this point, though, kind of got to win out if you really want to make playoffs and have a whole bunch of other things go your way. I'm not really focused on that. If it happens, it happens. That's not amazing. But I would probably bet my life savings on the fact that it doesn't. But, uh, yeah, it's always nice to beat the Patriots. Yeah. Thank you. All right, let's move into where we went right and where we went wrong. Skeller, tell me about some of your picks this past week. Yeah, where I went right here was taking New Orleans over Atlanta. Uh, Desmond Ritter didn't play very well. It it was relatively easy for the New Orleans defense to stop them. Um, Other than Tyler Algier, uh, he had a great game. But New Orleans did enough to get get the job done. And where I went wrong was taking Carolina over Pittsburgh. You know, Mr. Bisky had looked awful every single game he stepped foot in this year, but you know, somehow gets the job done against Carolina, man. No turnovers. It's that's good enough for a Pittsburgh quarterback right now. So congrats to him, I guess. For me, I didn't really have any crazy picks that was like, Oh, I was the only one that got this right or predicted something crazy, whatever it is. Uh, I'll go the Niners over the Seahawks because I kind of felt like I had a really good understanding of how that game was going to go. Ended up taking Niners spread. Uh, as well i'm crushing them yeah so i felt like i got that pretty pretty good there i'd say and then where i went wrong i did pick the ravens over cleveland as the only one who did that i just thought cleveland was atrociously ass uh and even though they kind of still are yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, but baltimore had an even worse game because lamar jackson wasn't playing i knew lamar wasn't playing so that wasn't part of the issue but uh, uh, pick goes red there for me, unfortunately. Yes. One more thing before we get to where's your head at. I guess we could talk about the Trevor May signing a little bit on here. That's what Skyler put. Fans, yeah. Uh, so one year, seven million dollars for the reliever. He's spent most of his career with the Twins and the last few years with the Mets. Really good with the Twins. Was hurt the last year with the Mets, so didn't really pitch too well at all throughout the whole season. Uh, but what do you think about this? Pretty cool dude. Yeah. Uh, my first thought was this is a guy we're going to try to flip at the deadline. But if we don't also, he, like you said, he's a really cool dude. He's a YouTuber, you know, having that kind of inside look to the organization mm-hmm. as they're falling apart will be interesting. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, the A's fans love their, their long shot relievers. We love those guys. The guys who uh, need one more shot. Yeah. yeah. We'll be rooting for them. I do also think it's cool that we we kind of got a, a vet for the bullpen too, yeah. even though the, like veteran presence isn't really something that's super needed within a bullpen. I just feel like guys that can – like the young guys can bounce something off a guy like that that has pitched in big games and pitched in big moments late in games for good teams and, and, and all that stuff. So I like the signing. Anytime we're spending money, I'm going to be 100% okay with it, yeah. regardless of who it's on. So uh, 
except for Jace Peterson. Good job for the A's there. Let's move into where's your head at. Starting with the MVP ladder like we do every single week. What honorable mentions do you want to mention, or do you have any that you want to mention? I want to mention Tyreek Hill because I think he's more valuable than Tua. Tua's not on my list, and Tyreek, I doubted this year. I didn't think he'd be able to repeat it, and he's been able to. And also Nick Bosa. Uh, In my opinion, he's having the best defensive year. I know that Crosby and Parsons have done their fair share of greatness this year, but, uh, you know, Nick Bosa is is the leader of the best, of the best, hottest team in football right now, you know. Mm. We'll give give him the nod. Honorable mention, I'm going to do Kirk slash Jefferson because even though Kirk hasn't looked the greatest, he's been one of the ball games, and Jefferson's a big part of that, so I couldn't really pick one. Let's move on to number five. Well, the five spot for me is the Kirk slash Jefferson as well. We didn't talk about this, so that's pretty funny. Um, the Minnesota offense, we both projected to be a lot better, but I, I never thought this was possible, you know, to be able to come back from 30-plus points – is pretty nuts. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Number five for me is going to be Justin Herbert. Another crazy week, week where he's just making throws that he shouldn't be making and, and they work out. Throws that he shouldn't be making, not like ideal wise, like they're good idea throws, but just throws that people can't make in general. Uh, and he's just making these throws so consistently. So he's got to find a spot on my list, especially if the Chargers make the playoffs on a number yeah. four. Number four is Joe Burrow. He's great. Um, came back it's down seventeen points. No, seventeen to three against Tampa Bay. Seventeen nothing. It seventeen nothing. Seventeen nothing. Wow. And uh, it's unfortunate that these these other three guys have been putting up like un unwordly numbers because he would be up there in any other year. Yeah. Number four for me is going to be where I put Josh Allen. Completely amazing week this past week. Obviously, talked about it a little bit earlier with the Macbeth Sports Player of the Week. But I just think the top three guys have done a little bit better than him so far. On number three. Number three, I do have Josh Allen above Burrow. I think that AFC is is a dogfight. And we'll mention that as we we get into our, our other AFC topics. But um, ridiculous game in the snow, man. Avoids the upset. Uh, they're going to be the number one seed most likely. Uh, number three is going to be where I put Burrow, probably the hottest team in the AFC right now. They're, they're just playing good football. And Joe Burrow has been head of the engine. So got to go with him at number three. On to number two. Number two, Patrick Mahomes, the most unstoppable player in football. Um, yeah. And we'll I'll pause right there because, you know, we got a, a a little bit of controversy for the number one spot right now. Yeah. Uh, number two for me is also going to be Mahomes. He's just so good, man. That That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then number one. So Jalen Hurts, uh, I think, has been the MVP the entire season so far. Uh, I mentioned it every week. You know, we didn't know if he could come back in a game or air it out when he has to. And he's been doing that the past couple weeks. Not this past week, but every week <laughs> other than that. He is questionable for the next game. He probably won't play, but it's it's not set in stone. If he misses more than one game, he's not going to win the MVP. And that's why his odds have dropped so far this past week to win the MVP. But if he just misses one game, goes back out there and clinches the one seed, he's the MVP. 
Well, I I also have Hurts at number one. But what I think is interesting is, like, they don't have to play him, like, after this week. If, say, yeah. if they win this week, he can take these next two weeks of the regular season and the first week of the playoffs, of course, with the first round bye, and just not play at all. Uh, I assume that they probably will play him at some point just because it's probably better to not have three cold weeks and then go into a divisional playoff round. But if he's seriously hurt, then they have that ability to, but I don't know if that should really take away from his MVP case, unless like Mahomes or Burrow or Allen just go off into a different stratosphere over these next last three weeks of the season. So I think Hertz is almost a lock at this point. But, I mean, maybe it's time to throw a bet down on him. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Trevor Lawrence and how good he's been. I have his stats over the last six weeks right here. The Jags are 4-2 and two in those games in these last six weeks. Uh, but starting off with the Raider game, 25 for 31 for 235 yards and a touchdown. The next week at Kansas City, 29 for 40 for 259 and two touchdowns. Uh, and they lost that game. Versus Baltimore, that crazy comeback win for them, 200 and, uh, or 321 yards and three touchdowns. Next week at Detroit, they did get killed by Detroit, which kind of hurts this a little bit. But 17 for 31, 179 yards and one touchdown. At Tennessee last week, 30 for 42 for 368 yards and three touchdowns. And then this past week against the Dallas Cowboys, 27 for 42, 318 yards, four touchdowns, and his first pick over the last six games. Uh, do the Jags and Trevor Lawrence, is he going to be enough for the Jags to really take control of the division for like years ago? Or is the Titans, the Colts, so the Texans got something that we're not seeing that can kind of hold them into that that spot? Yeah, it shouldn't be too much of an ask for the number one pick in a bad division to take it over. But, it, you know, he looks really good right now. Like Kyle just said, that's 14 touchdowns and one pick in the past couple of games. You know, I, I'm not saying he's amazing, but things are looking really good in Duval. I, I do want to mention, even though he's had uh, a couple of good weeks, you know, some guys like Mac Jones and Zach Wilson have had a five-week stretch similar. And we can't forget, you know, even though Trevor Lawrence has looked really good, it's still, you know, what, 22 touchdowns and about 40 turnovers for his career so far. But things are looking good. They're looking a lot better. Yeah, but none of those other guys had Urban Meyer their rookie year. So this year, like this year's Trevor Lawrence is a completely different person than last year's Trevor Lawrence. And whether that was the reads that Urban Meyer was having to make, whether it was the playbook, whatever it was, that Trevor Lawrence that we got last year is not here anymore. He he has been one of the best quarterbacks in this, in the league over the last six weeks. Uh, and there's a reason why the Jags are winning, and it's it's him right now. So it's going to come down for this week specifically, probably to a Week 18 game between them and the Titans. Uh, but considering that they beat them by 14 points last or two weeks ago, I wouldn't be shocked if the Jags sneak into the playoffs somehow, sitting at six and eight right now, and the Titans are at seven and seven. Uh, considering the sure. Titans have also lost four in a row. Yeah. All right, let's move into the Vikings. 
Vikings are 10 and 0 in one score games and something that's been kind of a big criticism on them is that there are in so many one score games and even though they have that good of a record that these other teams that have a similar record are better than them because they blow teams out more often so to speak uh so does these close games for the Vikings does that actually hurt them or can that actually help them uh, come playoff time in the first half of the season I would have said it helps them a lot, but you don't get to play Indianapolis and the injured Jets every week, especially not in the playoffs. You can't go down multiple scores in the playoffs, maybe against Tampa Bay because they their offense stalls out a lot of the time and uh, not a lot of clock rolls because they can't run the ball. But whether it's the Giants or Washington or Detroit, or especially in the second round, if they do win, you can't stall. Yeah. Uh. I so I think it comes into sit certain situations. I think it helps them in like the last like two three minutes of a game where yeah. if you're down by four, you're down by seven, whatever it is, you feel comfortable with Kirk Cousins having the ball in his hand, and he feels comfortable that he's able to go down the field and go score a touchdown for you to win the game. However, like Skyler said, you can't have these terrible first halves that amount to ten twenty point comebacks that you have to do. You have to keep it closer earlier on. And you you can't be in these situations where you just fall apart in the first half. Uh, sure, it's great the second half if you score 35 points to zero, but that doesn't happen if you're playing the Eagles. That doesn't yeah. happen if you're playing the Niners. That doesn't happen if you're playing the Cowboys. So uh, it does help them yeah. a little bit, but not as much as like, oh, yeah, this is this is why they're going to win the Super Bowl is because they're so good in close games. Uh one team that has a pretty good idea of playing in the big moment, uh, whether if they come through it or not, is an interesting point. But uh, Brandon Staley and his Chargers, his job has been something that's been a talk over this past year, uh, going back to last year and how many times he's kind of lost in the game by going for it on fourth down in interesting situations. Uh, but the Chargers are in a playoff spot right now. So does the Chargers making the playoffs? Does that hold Brandon Staley's job for one more year, or do you think he could still be let go after this year? I think the playoffs would keep him safe for another year or two. We still need to monitor the situation because Herbert has gotten them out of a lot of jams, uh, mostly, like you said, the fourth downs or play calling. But uh, once again, the AFC has been an absolute dogfight. If they don't choke that this this lead they have in the wild card, that's enormous for this franchise and they're not going to forget about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I said that the chargers have been so deprived of that like playoff spot over this past 10 years at this point that making it will keep Brandon Staley's job. As far as their offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi goes. Yeah. I don't know if I can say the same for him. I think uh, if, even if they make the playoffs, their offensive play calling isn't good. Like the just the the plays that they have for Herbert are only getting done because of how Herbert how good Herbert is and how good he can make throws and things that other people just can't do. Uh if you have a more creative mind in there, that offense could be a whole lot better. So I do think Staley's job is going to be confirmed to stay if they do make the playoffs, but I would not be shocked if Joe Lombardi gets let go after the year. All right. 
Let's move on to Jared Goff. An interesting situation that the Lions are in. They started the season one and six. Now they sit at seven and seven and just outside of that last playoff spot in the NFC. Uh, and this whole discussion kind of revolves around Jared Goff. Uh, and if he is a franchise QB, whatever you want to call it, is Jared Goff good enough to be the Lions QB of the future? Yeah, I think Goff has not been a problem at all in Detroit. He's earned it. And we have, we've had some pretty bad quarterback classes, including these next two coming up uh, outside of some outliers here, like Caleb Williams. But I'm sure Detroit will get impatient and move on at some point, but it's not in the next two years, in my opinion. Uh, I think the thing with Jared Goff has never been, is he good or not? It's always been, is he good enough? And I think that's why the Rams ended up moving away from him. And that, or we know that's why they kind of moved away from him and got Stafford because he wasn't good enough to win the most Super Bowl. We saw in that Super Bowl against the Patriots four or five years ago now at this point where they scored three points. Uh, and at that point, it was kind of Jared Goff's career in L.A. just picking down until they can make a move and go and get a better guy. Uh, when you look at the Lions situation, I think the fan base and the franchise has built so much around him and so much love for Jared Goff that he can be good enough to get you into the playoffs and maybe win a first couple of games. Super Bowl? Probably yeah. not. Probably not. But then again, how many quarterbacks in this league can actually win you a Super Bowl? Like six, seven, eight? Or or if you're the Niners, you don't need a quarterback. You could just kind of run out whoever. But there's not really any situation that the Lions can have Jared Goff go win a Super Bowl for them. But there's also not really a spot that they can go make a move for a guy that can go win them a Super Bowl because there just isn't that guy that's going to be available for them. Uh all these guys that are superstar quarterbacks are going to be locked up. They're not going to be bad enough to go get Caleb Williams. They're not going to be bad enough to go get any of these future quarterbacks that are supposed to be superstars. Maybe they could take a guy and have him sit behind Goff, and if things go bad, then switch to him. But as of okay. right now, I mean, how can you not stick with Jared Goff? He's been so good for them so far. Yeah. Let's move on to halftime, though. Yeah. Uh well, we'll start off halftime with the usual, the injuries and other updates in the NFL. So uh, Devin Dumernay, Ravens receiver, injured once again on IR this time with a foot injury. So they claimed Sammy Watkins, and uh, he didn't work out in Green Bay. Not great in Kansas City either, but hey, the Ravens are kind of out of options right now. So I kind of yeah. like this move. <laughs> Did you see, I think it was Ari Mirov or the guy, my sports update, he posted yeah. something about the Ravens wide receiver core and their most standout wide receiver right now is James Prochet, which is just <laughs> SMU. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, he was great in college, but yeah. fortunately the NFL is not college. No. Uh, well, unfortunately for some of these uh, fantasy teams, Jonathan Taylor is out for the year. So sorry, you're going to be losing in your consolation bracket. <laughs> if you chat to Jonathan Taylor, uh, ankle injury. So disappointing this year. Uh, I don't blame them, though. They they abused him in college. It was bound to happen. Uh, yeah. Sirianni, Eagles head coach. Uh, once again, he won't rule Hurts out. There's a chance, but not looking ideal for them. Um, Kenny Pickett cleared concussion protocol. So he's in line to start against the Raiders in the wind. I have something story. for you, Skyler. Yes, sir. 
free agent right-hander Drew Wazinski is in agreement with the A's. Yeah. Uh, Rosinski, who turns 34 on December 30th, spent the last four seasons in Korea compiling yeah. a 3.06 ERA over 121 starts, was with the Angels in 2014-15 and Marlins in 2017-18. Uh, so I'll take a look at who this Drew Rosinski guy is over these next few minutes. Yeah. Uh, I'll kind of I'll get back to you here in a little bit. All but right. Uh, a guy we've talked about before. Yeah. Interesting. But uh, back to the NFL injuries. Jaguars left tackle Cam Robinson announced he's out for this season with the torn meniscus. Huge blow for Jacksonville, um, especially a team like the Jets, who uh, have a pretty good pass rush when all healthy. Uh, that could be the the factor in if Jacksonville makes the playoffs or not. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, after that crazy game against New England, limited in practice with the ankle injury. Uh, more of a fantasy update. Uh, Sam Hubbard, Bengals defensive end with the calf injury declared out already for the next week. And one more Colt McCoy concussion. Uh, It's going to be Trace McSorley next week, most likely, which is pretty crazy. Uh, The Cardinals fall all the way to the bottom there of, uh, uh, you know, of of what they possibly could have done this year, even though it it wasn't looking great already. And, uh, Man, I guess I'll throw in one more for the Jets. Mike White's likely out with the fractured ribs. It's just too much to come back from. And uh, the next thing I got is the mock draft 5.0 that I did last night. And uh, I'll run through it pretty quickly here. Uh, It's not that the players have changed that much based on what they've done in college. It's just kind of what teams are looking for, in my opinion. So number one, the Texans, they're going to take Bryce Young. This is a team who took Derek Stingley over Sauce because of his pedigree. You know, and I think uh, they're going to do a similar thing here, even though we've talked about Will Levis going number one a little bit recently, Kyle and I, but I think the pick's going to be Bryce Young. So that means the Bears and Seahawks are going to get Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. They're going to be extremely happy. Those are the two best players in the class. The Lions at number four, kind of the first wild card. I haven't taken Joey Porter Jr., the corner from Penn State. This is my top corner. I like him a lot. And uh, a massive dude. Uh, Lions would love this guy. Uh, Cardinals at number five get Miles Murphy, edge from Clemson. Uh, kind of a you know best player available situation for them. And the Colts at six, they get C.J. Stroud, quarterback from Ohio State. I think they're done with the sloppy seconds. Uh, similar with Carolina, who at eight, I have them taking Will Levis from Kentucky. Uh, the Raiders at ten, Tyree Wilson, the edge from Texas Tech. He's a massive dude, 275 pounds. And uh, for a team that only rushes four, could be a pretty good fit who could move inside or out. And I know the Raiders have a lot of needs, uh, but it's kind of a best player available with uh, with a new regime. You know, they don't want to mess it up and get fired, is what I'm thinking. Uh, Jacksonville at 11, Christian Gonzalez, the corner from Oregon. Uh, my comparison for this guy's Trayvon Diggs. Ridiculous ball skills. And someone's going to take him early. Uh, number 12, the Texans get a receiver for Bryce Young, Quentin Johnston from TCU. And uh, at 14, my second receiver is going to be Jackson Smith the Jigba from Ohio State. I don't think he's the second best receiver, but Green Bay kind of needs that slot guy. I think they're finally going to break the streak of not drafting early receivers because they know time's running out on this regime. Seattle with their second pick is going to take Trent Simpson, linebacker from Clemson, another best player available. Seattle. 
I feel like just needs to keep improving the defense and try to turn into a, a kind of San Francisco system where you could bring back Gino and still be okay if you need him. At 17, I have the Jets taking Antonio Johnson, safety from Texas A&M. I've talked about him a little bit. He's six foot three, extremely long. Well, Marcus Joyner's probably not coming back. Tampa Bay at 19. They're going to go AR-17, Anthony Richardson, quarterback from Florida. Take another guy from Florida. If Kyle Trask isn't the backup yet, he probably won't be. So uh, Tampa Bay is going to take a shot here. Uh, The Chargers at 22. They're going to take Jordan Addison, receiver from USC. Some speed. I like their receiver depth, but they just need to change something to help out Herbert. Or everyone will be fired. Uh, Baltimore at 24. I haven't taken Andre Carter II, edge from Army. We just found out today that there was a bill passed that uh, will will give him a path to the NFL. You know, we saw a couple years ago with uh, some of the Navy players. When they were really good, they couldn't be eligible for the draft because they had to uh, serve, which is crazy. You know, um, this guy's really good, and I, I hope he, he does get to play because he's going to be a first-rounder. Uh, Nolan Smith to... Denver at 25, the edge from Georgia, a little older, but they're going to be desperately trying to uh, remold Bradley Chubb. And we'll skip down to the bottom here with Philly at 31. I got him taking B. John Robinson. I like what Miles Sanders is doing, but Philly is another one of those teams that is really good at building the trenches in the late rounds. Could use two so, backs too. so they could afford to uh, you know, go with the skill player here in the first round. And that's going to be my mock draft. Uh, things are changing, but uh, I'm excited because it's it's very deep defensively. And uh, we got a couple more minutes for halftime here, so I'll run through some of the bowl games that happened. Uh, not a lot of crazy ones, but interesting still. Number 24, Troy, beats 25 UTSA, 18-12, to 12, in the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. And I was really excited for this one because uh, these teams have put up some crazy offensive numbers, but it didn't happen. It's unfortunate. Uh, Number 14, Oregon State destroys the Gators of Florida, 30 to three. A lot of Florida players opted out. Uh, My Boise State Broncos got the job done in the Frisco Bowl, beating North Texas, enemy territory. (laughs) BYU with all their backups beats SMU 24 to 23 in the New Mexico Bowl. And uh, those are the notable bowl games. You know, we're going to get some better ones this weekend. And then the following weekend for New Year's, of course, all the big ones, the New Year's Six, the playoffs, and all the others that just missed. So college football season still going strong. We'll probably do another um, transfer portal update next week. And that's halftime. Yeah. A few more things here before we end off halftime. Uh, Just got word that Brandon Jury is in agreement with the Los Angeles Angels on a two-year, $17 million deal. Uh, So utility guy going to the Angels, who was really damn good last year for the Padres and the Reds. Uh, And looking back at that Drew Brzezinski signing from the A's that they just announced a few minutes ago, it is a three-year or three million guaranteed on one year deal plus a club option for five million dollars next year. So okay. possible is eight million dollars over two years. Uh, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, he turns thirty-four years old in two or in ten days. So get him through his age thirty-five season, which seems like it's 
is what it is. Looking at his stats, though, it kind of just looks like an Eddings eater type guy. Uh, back of the rotation as far as MLB wise goes. Uh, but looks like he's getting a lot of innings and pitch well for a, a team in Oakland that needs a ton of pitching, obviously. Another vet in the bullpen. Or in the rotation. <laughs> he's pitched 800 innings in the KBO over the last four years total. So I'll take that too. Yeah, we'll see. All right. But yeah. That is halftime. All right. So starting off the second half now, it's all baseball from here on out, except for maybe our bets. But let's talk Carlos Correa signing. 13 yeah. years, $350 million to go to uh, the Bay Area with the Giants. Uh, it is interesting, though. He was supposed to be announced today, but there was something in the physical that of is course. holding them back a little bit. So assuming that everything still goes as planned, he becomes a giant. Let's talk about that signing. Uh, yeah. So it does seem a little interesting here with the Giants because they were big into Judge. We heard that they were big into shortstops, end up getting a shortstop, but not Judge, of course. Uh, so let's talk about the playoff picture. Does Carlos Correa catapult the Giants into playoff contention, or are they still that like 500, barely above 500 type team? If he passes his physical, yes, it helps a lot. Uh, San Francisco still has a lot of work to do. A lot of guys left, but that's arguably the best shortstop in the league. It's good arm and the power bat probably won't fade anytime soon. Just get him some help, and the Giants are going to be right there with San Diego. Probably not the Dodgers yet because you know they're going to somehow win over 100 games every year, but they're going to be in the hunt, man. It's a good signing. I really like the signing. However, this does nothing for the Giants as far as playoff contention goes because they just have no pitching. They have no – besides Logan Webb, they don't have a two. They have Logan Webb and a whole bunch of four starters right now. Manaya was terrible last year. Stripling was not that good. Cobb was decent. And then their five spot is going to be either Jacob Junis, Alex Wood, or Anthony Disclafani. Or Kyle Harrison. So they're going to have serviceable guys at the bottom. But when you look at all these good teams that MLB right now, you're going to have two, three guys that can pitch six or seven innings for you pretty consistently. Uh, and then as far as their lineup goes, besides Korea and maybe Jock, there isn't a guy that really stands out in their order to me. I mean, Hanniger's good. Tyro Estrada's solid. Yaz is solid. Crawford's good when he's healthy. Uh, but... They don't have a guy besides Correa that's going to post the 850 OPS pretty consistently. I know Jock did last year, but that's a pretty interesting season to recreate considering how how he plays. But when you look at the NL, like it just doesn't make sense for me as far as the them competing for a playoff spot this year. I know their play, or their minor league system is pretty solid. But are they better than the Padres, in my my opinion? No. Are they better than the Dodgers? No. Are they better than the Cardinals? No. Are they better than the Braves? No. Are they better than the Mets? No. And are they better than the Phillies? No as well. Uh, and that's six teams right there. So I think it's the right no. building block, though. Yeah, it, it is. It's just they don't have. If they do I, the other six things they need to do. Yeah, yeah, they got to do a whole bunch of other stuff. They Losing on Rodon is a big one. They yeah. had to get Rodon in order to do something. Uh, and they didn't. So tough luck for them, but they got their shortstop of the future if everything works out for them. Here. Of the present. 
Let's talk about the Cubs and if they are a little intoxicated on their <laughs> free agency spending so far. Uh, I like the Dansby signing itself, seven years for $177 million. Uh, but what is the direction of this team? Is there something we're not seeing or what's going on here, Skyler? If I'm the Cubs, I see St. Louis getting older every day. I see that Milwaukee doesn't know what the hell they're doing right now, and their entire pitching staff's about to be owed a lot of money. Pittsburgh and Cincinnati not being a threat for five years. I see Stroman and Seiya Suzuki already on the books for a while. So why not take some shots? They have money. That's what I'm seeing right now. They're taking a chance to be over 500, and this was the only way they'd be able to do that. The division is not open, but they're... There could be a spot for them. While San Francisco misses out on all these big guys they're trying to get, this could be the the filler team until San Francisco's ready. That's a wild card team in the National League. And that's what they're going to try to do. I understand it. I I like the deal itself. I think the contract for Dansby is really good. I think you're going to get the best of his career maybe a year past that as well. Uh, you're not dealing with 13 years of – Correa or yeah. 11 years of Bogarts where you're going to deal with those last three, four years where they're probably going to suck. Uh, Dansby gets off the books in seven years from now. You don't have any of that added baggage afterwards. Uh, it does remind me a little bit of the Chris Bryant deal, uh, more so of like a Corey Seager, Marcus Semien deal last mm. year where they're just trying to build something from the team or for the team. But I, I, I think it's a start. But I don't know if it was the right start because Dansby hasn't really proven himself as a leader, I would say. I think in the Atlanta clubhouse, it's been a whole bunch of different guys that have been there that have been able to kind of lead as a group, whether it's Freddie Freeman being there, Matt Olson being there, Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, and all, all the pitchers as well. Uh, but in Chicago, it's kind of going to be a one-man show as far as leadership goes. He has to he has to do a lot for that club, and I think it's a big ask. Uh, I think Dansby is going to be fine himself, uh, but the team is not anywhere near playoff contention for me as well. Uh, again, comes down to pitching. You have Stroman, yeah. you have Jamison Tyon, you have Kyle Hendricks, you have Hayden Wisniewski. Uh, but besides that, there's just not a lot of competitive arms in that starting rotation, and uh, you have a two, three starter at the highest uh, for Marcus Stroman. And it just goes downhill from there. Uh, so I think the Cubs are an interesting spot. They got to make a whole bunch of more moves uh, over the next few years to actually become competitive. Uh, and I think they're trying to go more of that Rangers direction where you spend to get in. And I think that's okay. what the Rangers of course have been doing these last few years, spending yeah. like a billion dollars on free agents. Let's move to the other side of Chicago, the south side, and talk about the White Sox. Because uh, they might be drunk as well. Uh, spending $75 million on Andrew Benintendi over five years. Uh, good for the biggest contract in franchise history. Uh, that's an interesting one. Is there sense in this, Skyler? Or, again, are, is this just stupid? The White Sox lineup has been so inconsistent, so it makes sense on paper, but I don't like it at all. This is the kind of move for a playoff team that's missing a six-hitter, you know, that's World Series ready. It's not the move for a team trying to finally get over 500, so it may help them right away, but it's going to backfire so fast. 
I think uh, the signing itself isn't too bad if it was on like the Yankees or exactly. I don't know, a team that spends a ton of money. But having this stand out as the biggest contract in franchise history might give some un- unwanted pressure to Andrew Benintendi, some unwanted expectations that are really realistic for him. Uh, but I do like the White Sox roster and some of the other moves that they've made this past year or so. Uh, sign in uh, my Clevenger and some other guys in the bullpen. They now have a rotation, though, Skyler. Dylan yeah. Cease, Mike Clevenger, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, and Michael Kopech with a bullpen of Aaron Bummer, Garrett Crochet, Jake Diekman, Kendall Graveman, Liam Hendricks, Joe Kelly, and Jimmy Lambert, which is a pretty damn solid group. It's a good pitching staff. But they're probably going to get hurt, just like they yeah. did last year. So that is the unfortunate part of it. Uh, but if they stay healthy, I mean, the White Sox can contend. I think they really can in their division. I really like the Guardians, and we've talked about the Guardians so many times in the past and how fun they are to watch, but the White Sox could be a, a team in that division that kind of makes that comeback run back to what their expectations were going into this past season. Sure. Let's talk about the Yankees. They got they got a big fish as far as the starting pitchers go. They get Carlos Rodon on that big deal for – what is it? Five or six years. I'm blanking on yes, it right sir. now. Five years, I believe. But a ton of money for him. And that begs the question, do the Yankees have the best rotation in the bigs? Right now, I'm still going to take the Mets. Adding Verlander and Sanga is big to, to replace the guys who are leaving. But if the Yankees stay healthy, they will be the best. I'm just uh, a little skeptical right now because the Yankees have never stayed healthy ever. I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Uh, When I was doing my research for this, I was looking at a whole bunch of teams within the AL. I know the Phillies, the Mets are teams in the NL that really can't compete with them. But I was looking at the Astros. I was looking at the Blue Jays. I was looking at the White Sox, the teams that just have added these guys over this this, uh, past few months or so. But when you look at one through five, as far as having that star power at the front, having depth at the back end of the rotation, the Yankees have that. Uh, you can go Cole and Rodon. Uh, obviously, I prob- Cole's probably going to be your ace just because he's been the guy. Uh, Rodon fits well into the two spot. And then your three, four, five is a mix of Montas, Nestor Cortez, and Luis Severino. That is a nasty group that can all have low threes, ERAs, and high strikeout rates, uh, which bode well in New York. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say the Yankees do. I right. don't think they really are better than the Astros yet because they didn't really do much on the offensive side of the ball besides re-sign Judge, and he's been there already. So he didn't really add anything yet. Uh, I know they're trying to trade for Brian Reynolds, which would be a big thing. However, that's probably still quite a ways out. Yeah, if I had to guess the top, starter ERAs, it'd probably be some combination of the Mets, Phillies, Yankees, and Astros. I, I don't think I'd go anywhere else, though. Maybe Seattle? Sure. Could be. Sure. Sure. Oakland? Yeah, just that uh, sea level. West Coast ball working out <laughs> for you. But that's going to do it for Where's Your Head At? Let's move on to our bets and let's get on out of here. Let's, let's quickly go over our bets from last week because it was a rough week for us. Uh, we went one for three in total. Skyler got his bold prediction, right? Which was the one pick that we did get right. But our picks last week were I had Buffalo minus seven and a half versus Miami. Skyler had Washington state plus three versus Fresno state. Uh, and that did not hit. 
got this smacked. week, I have the Chiefs and Seahawks over 48 and a half. I think that's going to be a super high scoring game. And so I'm taking the over in that one. All right. Uh, Philly plus five at Dallas. I know Hertz might not be playing, but still grab that plus five right now before it, it gets lower. Because Philly, I still think if they want to win this game, they're going to have to pound the rock, whether you have Hertz or not. And making it as slow as a game as possible will be their plan. And I think they can keep it within a touchdown, less than a touchdown, five points. Moving on to our bold predictions. Last week, I had the Falcons at plus 175 versus New Orleans. I thought Desmond Ritter was going to have a really good game. Ended up just being a normal like first game for a quarterback, nothing too crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so they lost the game there. We're in a situation that they could have won, but that doesn't matter now. Uh, and then Skyler had the Raiders over the Patriots, and obviously that ended up hitting. So good job to Skyler there. Thank you. This week, I have the Philly money line at plus 180. I think they can still win this game with Gardner Minshew. And if Jalen Hurts ends up playing, you just got your odds boosted by a shit ton. So I'm really playing the odd here itself. I don't know about the game. Like the game is a little interesting, but if anytime you see Philly plus 180. Yes. You got to take that right now. Yeah. Well, my bull prediction is going to be Air Force to beat Baylor in the Armed Forces Bowl. Air Force is not in a power five conference. They're in the mountain West, but they only allow 13 points a game and they run the crap out of the ball. Baylor has not played defense the entire year. They're six and six. They were supposed to win the division. They choked. Um, so I'm taking air force. Makes me upset that air force doesn't like to have like an air raid offense. Yeah. Triple Makes option, baby. It's too bad. <laughs> Welcome to the military football. Yep. That's it is. All right, that's going to do it for episode 119. 119. Of the Going the Distance podcast presented to you by Immaculate Sports. We'll see you next week for episode 120, which is pretty oh, yeah. crazy. Uh, I know. Any, any parting words for you, Skyler? You guys got a game on Thursday. We do. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to rain like five, not rain, snow, like five feet. But uh turns out it's only going to rain a couple inches. So, uh yeah, a little disappointed, but go Jets. Yeah, go Jets. Go Jets. Yeah.